Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the annual Alleluia Church Music Conference. In this session entitled Engaging Children in Worship, Dr. Randall Bradley reminds us that children should be a vital part of every church's worship, yet many churches struggle to maintain meaningful engagement of children. This session will include materials and practical suggestions for maximizing children's involvement. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at baylor.edu slash alleluia. chapter many years ago on, on children in worship that's now part of this third edition of this book, and a lot of the material comes from material that's, that's a part of this, but it's been kind of a lifelong collection for me of interest in children in worship, and um, so it's something I, I've been very interested in. We've also, in the church that I was in until just recently, had a lot of discussions about children in worship, and we tried a lot of things and tried to be innovative and tried to really reach out to our children so we could talk a little bit about some of the issues there, maybe some of the issues regarding uh, expectations of parents these days and how that works and how do you negotiate some of those things. Um, I don't claim to be an expert in all of that, but I would be happy to uh, share some of my experiences. But the other place that I've learned, I think, some things about children in worship have been in um, watching our children and observing their growth and doing that from a deep interest. You know, I we've been older parents uh, as our children were came a little bit later in our lives. So I think I've been able to stand back maybe and watch a little bit more than some parents might have. But one of the greatest joys of my life has been watching our children worship and getting to be a part of helping cultivate their worship life. It's been a great experience, and so it's something that I think is a great joy uh, that we get to be a part of if your parents or grandparents are, for all of us, as we just come, come along to, with children in our, in our church. So that's, that's something I think is important. We're not going to take time to discuss all these questions, but just to think for a moment, what are your best childhood worship memories? Um, do you have any childhood worship memories? Do you have positive things that you remember about being a child and worship? Just think in your mind uh, quietly about that for just a moment. I have several. Uh, I'll share just a couple of quick things. But I remember distinctly what it feels like to put, your, put my head on my dad's knee. And go to sleep, and what you know, how bony my dad's knee is. <laughs> um, when I sing lots of hymns today, I immediately hear the bass part that my dad sang, always in church. Um, so, most of my childhood memories tend to be emotionally related to physical presence and touch and people, which I think has something to say about a lot to say about children and the way children engage in worship, and the way worship is meaningful to them. Our son Isaac is with my parents in Alabama, and uh, flew there last week, and we'll spend about 10, 12 days before we go and get him in a few days. 
Um, he said last Wednesday night he was he when he's there. My parents live way out in the country, so Isaac doesn't do much except work on my with my parents and do whatever they do. And then he loves to go to church there because that's the only thing he does all week. Is he said you, once Wednesday night's over, you just start looking forward to Sunday. <laughs> so last Wednesday night he said they cancel all the children the children's all the children's activities this is a church of about 75 so there's not all the children's activities there's the children's activity and he said so i just had to go to prayer meeting with papa hmm. and i thought i'm glad that he just got to sit in prayer meeting with papa yeah. he'll remember that as i remember he's 11 as i remember sitting in church with my i always went to prayer meeting with my dad just because i just it was a time to be with my dad and I went to January Bible study every year and all those things, you know. Did all that with my dad, and it was meaningful to me. Um, I think it's important for us who work with children and who lead children in worship to reflect sometimes about what we gained as children in worship, which I think will help us to imagine how our children and the children that are in our care might engage with worship also. And it's not that you know every child would have a father present or every child's dad would sing bass. That's not the point. But the point would be that children are, a, they are taking in everything. They're remembering all of these experiences and their lives are being shaped continually. Some questions for reflection. Um, these are really more aimed at, at parents. But sometimes I've done a hybrid presentation of this for parents. And so I'm giving you kind of some of the things that I would talk to parents about so you can have these materials if you want them. For one of the things that I would ask parents are what worship goals do you have for your child? I find that most parents have never thought of a worship goal for their child. And they, they have children, they're in, you know, obviously, they think about, I want my child to be smart, I want my child to be athletic, I might want my child to play a musical instrument, I want all these things, I want my child at certain college and all this, but they haven't thought about what would I want my child to develop as a worshiper. And that's a really important question to ask parents because once parents start to think about that and you ask parents those questions, then you start to continually have this ongoing dialogue with parents and they'll share with you what they, how their children are uh, reacting and interacting and they start to really engage with the worship life of their children. I believe that we have to be intentional as parents about the worship life of our children, that it do doesn't just happen. We've been in a process this summer. Our, I resigned from a, a church here I'd served for eight years uh, just in the spring, and we've been in the process this summer of visiting a lot of churches. And it's been very interesting to observe our children's responses to worship. We were in a church a few weeks ago um, that our daughter said, I don't think I would like to go to that church because the congregation didn't do anything. I've never, you know, given her worship lessons, you know, and had her read my book or anything like that. And, you know, she just gets the fact that the congregation ought to be doing something really important because that's what she's been grown up around. And so it was very perceptive. Uh, another Sunday, our son said, everything took so long in that church. He said, everything was so long. 
and it was one of the most poorly paced services I've been in in a long, long time. Everything was slow. You know, it just took them forever to get from one thing to the other. It was very perceptive. That was a deep theological, but it was certainly, um, he's certainly paying attention. Describe the worshiper you would like for your child to become as a young adult. If we, if we don't think about how, who we want our child to become as a young adult, then we will not get from point A to point B. If we do, it will be a mistake, most likely. So I have imagined with our children, I want them to be deeply engaged worshipers. I want them to sing heartily. I want them to pray fervently. I want them to know congregational songs. I want them to feel confident. I want them to think theologically, all these different kinds of things. And so I am continually trying to steer them in those kinds of directions and help shape their lives toward a goal. Uh, and, and I don't say, you know, here's what I want you to become as a worshiper. You never say that. You just spend every day doing something, you know, shaping in some kind of way that moves toward that goal. Uh, what specific worship behaviors and disciplines would you like your child to embrace? Again, a good question, a good thoughtful question. And once you write some of these things down as a parent, or not just as a parent, but for the children that we are, that are in our care. And I like to think of the children that are in our care. Um, so those are things to think about. Consider that children are a valuable part of the Christian community. That children learn from intergenerational experiences. I, I mentioned this experience with our children going to visit my parents. They, our son will be there for about 10 days, and then we'll go for um, about a week, and then our daughter will stay for 10 days, and then she'll come back. But both of them will have this experience with my parents. Um, our daughter is, wasn't greatly excited about that because there's no internet, um, there's no cable television, the cell phone occasionally works if you get just in the right spot in the yard and if you're patient enough to walk around and find that, that little <laughs> sweet spot, you know, something like that. So not really excited, but in the long run, that intergenerational experience will benefit her in ways that she would never know today. Uh, and that's part of that. But in our church, we need to help children to enjoy the music of other generations and help them to love what other people love because they love these people. You see, in church, we love people, therefore we love what they love, which is a place we've missed out in a lot of our churches, I think. Uh, children understand more than they are able to express. Every child in the world understands, feels, and um, takes in more than he or she is able to express. Which is true for all of us, isn't it? How many times do you feel something and you even intellectually understand it, and just as I couldn't think of the right word, you can't think of the right word. So you, you have this experience and you understand it deeply in your heart, but you can't express it all verbally. Now on the other hand, oftentimes children will say things that we think they understand when they don't understand them, when we die, go deeper, because they will um, mimic or parent back something that we think they get and they don't get. That's a, a subject for another part of this discussion. Uh, children learn through modeling. Modeling is the most important aspect of worship for a child. 
in my 30 plus years of music ministry, I cannot think of a time when I've seen a child whose parents sang in church who didn't also sing in church. And rarely have I seen a child sing in church or a teenager whose, if the parents didn't sing, the child didn't sing. So if the parents sing, the child will sing. The child, by the if you've been with your child from big church, maybe four or five years old, till at least our kids sat with us every Sunday until seventh grade. We've let them, at seventh grade, we let them go to sit with the youth. But until then, they're with us. They're, that's our time. That's our care. If they've done that, then when they get to be seventh grade, they don't know anything but singing. They're like you. They can't help but sing. I cannot help but sing in church. I don't care how much my throat hurts and my laryngitis. I have to sing in church. And so do you. That's conditioning. And that's something you must do. And your child will also uh, have that experience. I also believe that it's important for the people that work with children to participate actively in worship. Uh, it's not always possible for everybody who works with children's choirs in your church to sing in the adult choir. But if at all possible, let that encourage those people to do that. Don't guilt them, but encourage them. Because when I'm telling you in children's choir every week, it's so important for you to offer your gift to God, but I never see you offering your gift to God, somehow that message doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite match. So that modeling is so important. Uh, children are impacted by mood. I, I heard this in a class years ago, uh, a music education class that I took, that children are first impacted by mood. And I have applied that to worship, and I believe that's true. Children will children understand what the mood is around them, even if they don't understand the content. They totally get it. They understand what people are feeling, and they reflect those moods. Uh, you have seen a child before who everybody's laughing, so the child doesn't understand any of what everybody's laughing at. The child laughs anyway. So this is a happy moment, and I don't want to miss it. Uh, this is a sad moment, and a child will cry when other people are crying just because of the empathy. So the ch a child understands mood. So when children in worship, they understand the feeling. They get the feeling. They get the mood. They understand the con. They understand that part even before they're able to intellectualize any of that. Children learn most by imitation. So when children see other people worshiping, they imitate. They come along. They do what other people do. So, the responsibility is on all of us. A few years ago, um, this story just came to me, but I, a friend in um, a, a large church in Texas, and this friend um, was, now, was the new minister of music in this church. It turns out that one of our former teachers was in the church, whose children were teenagers. And this um, former professor of ours went through the line when the new minister of music came and was welcoming him. And he said, uh, well, he called him by name. And he, um, you know, he said, well, Kyle, I'm going to see what kind of minister of music you are and see if you can get my boys in youth choir. And my friend said, well, Steve, I'm going to see what kind of parent you are and see how well you can do. 
<laughs> and that was one of the quickest kind of thinking on your feet kind of moments. And so I think it's important that oftentimes in nice ways that we give the responsibility to the parent and that we give that back because parenting is a shared responsibility from the church to the parent. It's something we all share. As a, as a community of faith, we are all shared sharing in the parenting of children. And it's a great gift for parents to have other people that care about their children. Uh, before we had children, I would have um, parents who would say, thank you for the work you've done with my child. And I just thought, you know, no big deal. You know, that's what I do. You know, you know kind of whatever, you know. Uh, but when we had children, I thought, and then people did nice things for our children. I mean, wow, I mean, I'm just grateful, you know. When, when you all have come up this week and said, you know, your daughter's been so nice, and that, oh, that touches me, you know. I mean, I'm really moved by that, you know, because that's, that's our child. So when you invest in the lives, of, in the life of someone's child, you're giving gifts in lots of different places. So, and people, people want your help in nurturing their children. So, but we need to own that, and we need to continually remind each other of what our responsibilities are. And sometimes parents will want to simply give you everything and let it be all yours, but we have to own that, and we have to share that. And sometimes it's our responsibility to gently remind parents that we're in this together. You know, we don't just send them away to learn whatever we have to work together uh, three views of children in worship. A lot of uh, churches, particularly small church model, is that all children are in worship. Some of you are have been in situations very rare these days where babies cry and everybody's in the room together and it's all, it's just everybody's in there together. I think there's something pretty beautiful actually about that model, even though it's very rare. Um, the church I grew up in, it, there was no nursery. And so you simply pass the baby off to someone else. Or, you know, when you, people would sense that the parents were just getting very distraught and, you know, the babies cried and been irritable. Well, some wonderful person just says, oh, you know, they just walk up and take the baby. And then they take the baby a while and they may go outside and take the baby, all those things. So everybody owns the babies and the children and everybody responds. That's a very good community model, actually. Um, I had a friend once that said, I used to be very adamantly against children making noise in worship, and I was just never wanted a crying baby around and wanted to be sure that, you know, we had enough to take crying babies out and all that. He said, but I've served in a church now where we have no children. He said, and I long to hear a baby cry in worship. So I made a point of every time a child misbehaves in our worship and, you know, when there's a child doing something, I said, thank you, God. Thank you that we have children in our worship. And I make a point of telling parents that your children are not disturbing me. You know, your children are not going to disturb me. I, I'm glad your child is in worship. Can I say something real fast? Sure. Um, similar situation. I'm in a pretty small church here in the Waco area. And we had not, we've not had children, uh, infants in our church in eight years. And my wife and I have a nine-month-old daughter, and there's another child that was born three months before that. And we had many members of the church actually requesting that we leave the babies 
in the sanctuary regardless. So my wife sits on the front row with Lexi, and she starts to throw a little fit, or if it gets bad, she'll she'll walk out. But most of the time, she'll just you know play with her up there, and it's just been just that fact, that reasoning. It's been a blessing to so many people, and who would have thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> when our children were were very small, when we would be on vacation, we'd go to see my parents or something. They do have a nursery now, and my mother's the loyal keeper of the nursery because mm-hmm. my mother, her two likes children, and the children are that's a big part of her life. Uh, anyway, my mother, um, I would want to take our children and worship even when they were little because I was the minister of music at home, so I didn't get to be with them and worship, you know, and I, I wanted to be with them. I wanted to hold them in, in, in that worship time. But that's one idea. The other is that children are in worship um, once they're four or five years old, which is the most common, that children are in worship in, at a certain time or certain age. I sometimes encourage parents who really want to be with their kids and have kids who are a little more um, precocious to bring them in early, mm-hmm. you know, or bring the children in at a little bit younger age. Um, the other idea is that some churches have the children in for part of the time, and then they leave and they exit at the sermon time, which is a really good kind of compromise kind of thing, because a sermon does get to be a long time, um, you know, even with a great preacher who works hard at, at those kind of things. Um, but it has a lot to do with the preacher. Uh, we had a, a preacher for our number of years. Our, our pastor was wonderful at engaging children. And um, she would put in stories and, uh, you know, just things that our kids would really perk up and pay attention. And, um, but that's not nearly always the case. That's a rarity. Uh, the other is that children are never in worship and children are in a children's church or some kind of alternative. We've been through a big, dis- well, I should not say that. We've not been through a big discussion. Our church has talked about that um, behind the scenes. <laughs> I should say, about what people really want. But that's been a thing, and I've been an advocate that we, that children need to be in worship because they learn, as we were just saying, there's so many things to be gained. And um, I also think that as a parent, you only have this particular time that you really get to nurture that child's worship life. And I'm, I wouldn't be in favor of having advocate, advocated that for our children. Uh, but I found that's not the case for some people, and they really don't want children, their children to be with them in worship. Uh, but again, that can be helped by the education and be helped by helping parents to find good ways to um, work with their children in worship. And we can do a lot as uh, church um, staff and others. Children respond with all their senses. Uh, sounds invite children, sights, touches, smell, movement and silence. All kinds of movement and senses involve children. So when we're thinking about children, we want to find ways that help children involve, be engaged through sensory activities. That will be the most important thing. And we'll come back on some of these hopefully. Explaining difficult concepts to children. I simply put this in because this has been really important to me through the years. But When we're talking about difficult concepts, like what might be a difficult concept to explain to a child? Sin. Yes. Pretty much everything we talk about at church is difficult. Yeah, I mean, just about everything. All of the questions our children have seemed to have asked through the years have all been hard questions. (laughs) 
Um, I was so glad that I had studied some of this stuff years ago and written about some of it because it was helpful. I tried to use simple and direct language with our children. And um, if you were talking about sin, well, I don't really use the words, I haven't used the word sin with our children when they were little. And they, or if they said, what is sin? Well, sin is when we do things that are wrong. And we do things that wouldn't be pleasing to God. You don't have to tell what they all are. You don't have to give a laundry list. You know, you don't have to use, sometimes they're very dark and dreary. And, you know, you don't have to use things that children wouldn't understand. You simply explain, you just simply say what something is. It's the most direct way you can state it. Uh, admit your difficulty. My, I guess the line I feel like I probably use with our children more than anything is, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. That's a hard question, Isaac. And that's a question that is really hard for me. But here's what I think. And I'll, get, I'll tell him what I think, and I'll tell him as much of what I think is right. If he asks more questions, I'll give more stuff. If he doesn't ask more questions, then I'll leave it be. Because you can always come back to it, see. The mistake we make with children is we think we have to give them the whole load. You know, it's, it's, it's like the farmer who, uh, you know, there's a story of a, of a preacher. Uh, there's a story of a preacher who uh, went to church one Sunday and, um, well, this actually, this actually happened. My, my younger brother, um, the, the pastor, one Sunday they had a very low crowd and so... My, the pastor told the story about this preacher who went to the church and um, there was a very low crowd that Sunday, you know, just three or four people there. And so the pastor, um, pastor preached a sermon, preached the whole thing, you know, and um, preached the whole sermon just like the church was full and big sermon and everything. And, and said uh, at the end, somebody, somebody asked, well, why did you have to, why did you preach the whole sermon? There's just a few of us here. And he said, well, um, I was talking to this farmer and he said, well, if I go feed my cows and there's just a few that show up, well, I still have to feed those cows. And the farmer said, but you don't have to give them the whole load. <laughs> <laughs> and so I often think about that with children. You know, we think we give, have to give them the whole load. And we, we have that experience when we're talking with children. Uh, an experience with our families, both of our children are adopted. And when our children have asked about adoption, which has been frequent in our family, I've simply answered their questions rather than say, oh my gosh, panic, what do I say? You know, what are they going to ask? You know, all this kind of stuff. And just said, you know, who, the, when Hannah was five, she came home one Sunday at the lunch table and said, who's my birth mother? <laughs> And I said, well, her name is Melissa. And she said, where does she live? And I said, she lives in Washington State. Oh, she lives in Washington. She said, Washington, D.C.? And I said, no, Washington State. And we, Brenda and I were just kind of <laughs> And then she said, can I go play? Yeah, yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then a few days later, she followed up with a little bit more, and then she didn't ask anything for, you know, maybe a couple of years. So just answering enough and not going into something huge is fine. Um, so 
I often ask questions to our children and will say, um, I do this with our son all the time. Well, Isaac, what do you know about that? Tell me what you know. Isaac's in a very inquisitive period about lots of things at 11. And um, so, so what do you know about that? You know, and, and he'll tell me. He'll say, you know, here's what my friends told me and all this stuff. And, you know, and, but it helps me not to unload something on him that he's not ready to carry, mm -hmm. which is what we sometimes do with children. Uh, incorporating children into corporate worship. Um, let's fill in some of these blanks. First of all, know the names of children. So know the names. It's important that we know who children are as much as possible. If you have a lot of children in your church, it's, it can be really challenging. But if you know children, you can call them by name. They'll love you. I've enjoyed through the years having lots of little friends at church. It's been a, it's been a gift for me. Um, pace the service. You know, so I mentioned about, Isaac's talked about the pace of the service. Children get very anxious when things take forever. And long, long silent moments, and, and parents do too. You know, the silent moments are what worry parents to death. <laughs> but, uh, but pacing, you know, not for the sake of having everything paced for the children, but trying to move things along will help children to, to uh, engage. And children deserve just as much credit as anybody else. They deserve to be just as paid attention to or catered to as anybody else. Include much congregational participation. The time when children have trouble is when they don't think they have anything to do. Like the sermon, for instance. Or they, they don't think there's anything for them to do. Those are the more challenging times. Uh, be flexible with the room arrangement. Not always possible, but when you can be flexible, if you have a space that allows for flexibility, for children to be close, for children to maybe to move at a different time. One of the things we've done at our church is ask the children to come forward. When we do drama, we often will ask the children to come forward, have them sit on the floor or sit on the front pew so that they could be right there. See, otherwise, people are sitting, they're going to want to stand up in the chair, they're going to want to look. So children want to be where things are happening. They want to be in the middle of that. So the more you can facilitate that, then the better off you're going to be in worship. Uh, explain worship terms. When you use a term in worship, and we use them all the time, that, you, that children are not going to understand, then explain it. Or why don't we simply say, instead of let's now have the ushers come for the offertory, why don't we say, let's come now and take up our offerings. You see how, what a different way that is? Just to simply say something simple rather than use the, you know, the, big, the big long word for something. Simply say what it is. We, you'll find that not only children will appreciate that, but a lot of other people will be grateful as well. Uh, use lay leadership often because children need to see that people like me, people like I, can be a part of worship. Worship is not just for those three or four people that are on staff or whatever. Worship is everybody gets a part of that. I was in, in a church Sunday, actually in Allison's church, and it was a great time of, uh, you know, a young person came and led, and, and a, a young woman led, and there was some good diversity in uh, who led in worship, and that was, um, was really inspiring. Um, utilize children's literature anytime that, a, that you can have a reading from something that children engage with, a book that they know, uh, particularly sermonic material, that means 
the material in the sermon. Uh, but anything to do with the sermon, uh, those things are helpful. Or a reading. You know, we don't always have to read from the Bible. We can read from something else sometimes and tell a story that, that makes sense. And children will appreciate that. Balance traditional language with simple language. Uh, there's sometimes we need, we need to use traditional language in worship, but, but use simple language too. Do you know that it's more challenging to use simple language? Yes. Mm -hmm. It really is challenging to say, what did I really mean to say there? And you're challenged by so a great way to do that is to, you know, have smart kids around your house who say, what did you mean by that? You know, what does that mean? We really question. It's helpful. Um, set the scripture in context. An example of that would be to say, this is a story, um, well, let's, let's say today's worship. Okay, today's worship was about Mary, uh, was about breaking the, so what, what might we say there to set the context of that scripture rather than just launching in and assuming everybody already knows the story? Well, and he kind of did. He introduced Lazarus and... Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he set us up for it rather than just launching into it, you know. I say all the time to our kids, context please, context please. Yeah, they're constantly, they just start off on some story and it's like I'm supposed to know who you were just texting and how that, whatever, you know, and I don't even have a clue. <laughs> and, you know, I'm always saying that. But what about church? You know, we just launch on something and we assume everybody understands that. This is a story about, this is when Jesus was talking to his disciples. This is when Paul was writing a letter to some of his best friends. This is when Paul was writing a letter to some people that were having some real big problems. See, just some kind of something. I mean, wouldn't you, I would appreciate that a lot of times. Do you, excuse me, do yeah. you encourage the, do you train the lay leadership that reads scripture, or whoever reads scripture, be it laity or ministers, do you personally, do you approach them to explain, encourage that and explain why? I have at times, I can't say that I've always done that, but okay. I, I have at times. Okay. Yeah. They wouldn't necessarily do that if you didn't help them. Right. But sometimes That's, people set up things in ways that you don't want them to set things up to. Right. You know, yeah. and, and you get in this really... <laughs> Oh, I can't remember this guy in our church a while back said, you know, I thought it was a really clever thing to say, you know, and, and I said, well, why don't we not do that? That's a, that's a really clever idea, but let's say that. I didn't say it quite that way. But it, was, it, was, it would have been funny if for the three people that would have gotten it. You, know, you never use humor in worship that's inside. You know, just, there's no place for that in the Christian community. No the Lutheran Church publishes setups for all the readings for the, okay. for the um, yeah. but I can't say they're kid friendly yeah. you, you have to give them to people, you well, have to lead people to do those things they, said, I mean, yeah. they tell you the context but like I said it's not necessarily yeah. for children use drama in worship well, drama is very engaging to children and to others so when you can use drama I'm a believer in simple drama and I just couple things. The, if you aren't careful, drama moves from just being dramatic to being tacky, I think. So less is more. Uh, it's also easier to coordinate. But but a little something, just you know, uh, a pantomime or acting out something is always nice. Uh, plan children's worship times. 
Um, sometimes children's sermon, children's message, I like the term message better than sermon. I, I like, you know, much better. Uh, keep the needs of children before you. When you plan worship, what would it be like to be an 11-year-old? What would it be like for this to be my first Sunday in worship, you see? Imagine that and keep that in mind. Allow children to lead in worship. So allow leadership opportunities for children. Now, children will have to be prepared for leadership. I, and I don't believe that children need, generally, small children don't need to lead by themselves. They need to lead with an adult, and they need to lead with a gentle adult. In our church, uh, we've kind of gotten to a place where almost all the time when children lead, they usually can't stand behind the pulpit or the podium because it's too tall. So we have them stand to the side, and then we have a handheld mic, the adult holds the mic for the children, the child, and then the adult uses the mic. The children don't, I don't, I allow children to hold the mic because that, that's a little more power than I want them to have. But the adult holding the mic and then the child. Um, I want the adult to be there. I usually will encourage the adult to touch the child, touch the back of the child. See, that lets the child not feel alone. Because what you don't want to do is put children on display. And you don't want children to feel unsafe. Because the, the very place you never, ever want a child to be unsafe is church. And so you always want there to be good security there. And if you've got uh, two or three children doing something, I will often go stand with them. Uh, because I'll just go down and just be with them. Because they need a sense of presence in, in the middle there. I'm a big believer when we, when we have children in front of people, we always need adults with them when the, if they're facing. Now, children's choirs might, will be different because they have a chance to rehearse and they have a chance to practice things. But even in our church, when our preschool group does anything in worship, and I, we don't ever have them stand, if the preschoolers always sit down if they're singing, and they sing like at Christmas, they might sing one little song at Christmas, they'll sing with all the harper guitar, the guitar person is sitting among them. We have several parents there. We have no child that's not in the reach of an adult, not for pulling you back, but for encouraging, say, for safety purposes. So sit around with the children. When you have little children do sing and worship, let the adults sing with the children, see. You can still hear the children, but let the adults sing with the child. Then the child isn't afraid and the child's not on display. But I've seen, um, you know, not so long ago, I saw a group of preschoolers, a whole group of them, about 10 of them standing in one long row, three steps high. Now, what four-year-old, four and five-year-old, is able to stand on a step this wide, see? They don't have the balance, really, to be doing that, and it's too risky, even, and they need safe places. So just let them sit down, let them feel good. And I'm, I'm really all about the advocacy of children being safe in every place in their life. Other than singing in the worship service, what other activities have the children done? Have they read scripture or led in prayer, depending mm -hmm. on their age? Is that yeah, the and so some of these things are coming up in a second. Right, okay. yeah. And then we can add some more to that. Um, potential worship leadership opportunities for children. Uh, children and their families um, may be readers or ushers for worship. 
in our church we have a whole group of children that that are ushers with their parents and they they uh, they take up the offering um, the offering in our now former church was really a personal experience in itself some Sundays because we would have we have a group of women from a um, an adult home for mentally challenged women and they took up the offering and you would have those women and you'd have some parents with children and you know just a whole hodgepodge of the church and I, they'd come down the aisle you know when taking the offering and I would just be you know all welled up from just that experience of how beautiful it was so those are the kinds of things we don't often think about I think our churches need to move from having a bunch of old men in suits taking up offering. Mm -hmm. We can do better than that. Not that old men in suits, there's anything wrong with that, but let's mix it together. Let's let it look like the church. Let's let the people, let the greeter, greeter people look like the church. In the church I was in Sunday, um, the greeters, there were two women at the door and they were really engaging and they were nice and they were, before I opened the door, they were laughing. And I thought, this is a happy place. You know, this is a good place where people want to be. So think about that. You know, sometimes we put our grimmest people in our most important places. Um, it doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, when you have families that visit, if you had a nice child there to greet, what a great, you know, great kind of statement you would make. I know we can't change all these things. You know, some of these things are way beyond our control. But if we don't drink from these dreams, who will? You know, if we don't ever think about it, they'll never change. Uh, children can help um, the work, help prepare the worship room, or can prepare the worship room. Uh, children can help set up communion. We've had some great experiences in our church where you know, filling up cups and all the things that have to be putting out communion where um, our children have they almost always have helped clean up afterwards and pick up the stuff in the room and they put out things and you know they're, they're the kids that arrive early and stay late you know but they've done all those kind of things flowers uh, preparing manipulatives for worship things that are passing out you know passing out worship folders you know, so many things. All those things that we need that we need to do, let's let children help with that. And children gain ownership. Uh, they can help with communion. Kind of just said that. Uh, children's choirs can provide music. Uh, again, the church I was in Sunday, a little girl, um, probably 11 or so, played the offertory. It's great. I just loved it. It was a beautiful experience. This, um, wonderful she played and then it turns out she wrote the piece she played mm. you know it's very nice it's just a, a great moment so um that was a gift to everybody it's a gift to everybody um children can help with special services at the church uh if you do any holy week services and foot washing and you know any kind of uh palm sunday stuff you know palms flowering of the cross um all these things, you know, our, our children are really into any of those kinds of special things. Uh, Advent kinds of stuff and candles. Somebody has to light all those candles and somebody has to blow them all out and, you know, all that stuff. So everything we do in church doesn't have to be neat and tidy either. You know, we can, we can do some messy things if it involves people and children. 
Uh, children can read scripture lessons. Uh, we said that children can lead in prayer. But please help children prepare for prayer. Always help the child write the prayer ahead of time. I encourage people to write their prayers anyway because children are not the only people that get tongue tied. Mm -hmm. So I, I almost always write out my prayers because um, then I will say what I intended to say rather than be worried about is what I'm going to say going to make any sense and are you going to think I'm an idiot or not? Um, which is often my thought if I don't write it out. And I bet you felt the same way. Um, and how holy is that? Um, children can design worship bulletins. You can take children's art and you can transfer it to worship bulletins and let it be cover art, let it be art among things within the worship time. You can do seasonal things with uh, Lent or Holy Week or an Advent series where children do something and, incur and use that art. If you have video production, why not use children's art as backgrounds for things that you're using? And why not flash the children's art on your video thing rather than all these, you know, ocean scenes and all these things we use all the time that are, you know, you kind of think, well, that's pretty. And then what else is there theological about that? Well, it's pretty and God designed it, but what about God's creativity in this place? So children's stuff is a great, a great place to do that. Uh, children's choirs can sing with other choirs. Uh, I'm a real big believer in letting children's choirs sing with other choirs in the church, putting the adults and the children together to sing uh, this intergenerational experience again. Everybody benefits from that. Um, it's invigorating to do, to do that. Um, children can participate in seasonal services. Again, um, you know, Thanksgiving and all these different times. You know, I'm just brainstorming. What about asking um, children to bring canned goods and instead of having a fixed arrangement on the table in the front, let everybody just bring their canned goods in their bags and put them all over the front, you know, and make an offering to the Lord of, you know, stuff at Thanksgiving. Um, what about having a Sunday where in the summer where you're asking all the children to bring some kind of flower that they picked somewhere. And then you have somebody put all the flowers together and make the flower arrangements for the Sunday out of what people brought. You know, there's a time in the summer when pretty much everybody has a crepe myrtle blooming or something. You know, and you can make something beautiful out of that. And what does it feel like for the child to say, you see that pink flower, that was the one I brought. So there are all kinds of ways. Making bread for communion. A Sunday school class could make, have a great time on a Saturday making bread and then having that bread served for communion. Or a children's choir group. See, um, lots and lots of possibilities. Uh, children can lead in litanies and responsive readings. It's often a good way. And children can write those in Sunday school. Sometimes children are writing all those things anyway, and we just never know it. So helping uh, litanies and responsive readings. So children can participate in writing that kind of thing. And then you can use it, and then, wow, get the ownership, you know, when you've used that. Um, children can take up the offering. We said that. We're gonna, I'm trying to move a little faster. Children can provide interpretive movement for a hymn. Uh, what about a hymn that you're going to sing, and you ask children to make up movements for this? Um, what's a good example of a hymn that might have interpretive? For the beauty of the earth. 
I was thinking the same one. Well, you know, I'm not very good with this stuff, but you know, for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth. I mean, I'm just making up stuff as I'm singing. You see, but if you get some children doing that, wow, you know, and, and put some streamers on their hands or something, you know, pretty soon you you appear brilliant. Yeah. You can lead these people to do something, and the children can do much better than I just did. You see, and it can be beautiful. It can be really, really great. Our church started a dance ministry last uh, January. This woman in our church that's vision of a dance ministry. And we only did it once. They all were, the second Sunday in May, the children did their dance ministry thing. And it was, it was quite a beautiful day. And they had all learned some interpretive movement, basically, to, we did the Malat Lord's Prayer, and they, we sang it, and they moved, and it was, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And it incorporated some community children who didn't have a chance, could never have afforded to take dance, and, um, it was good. It was word, word. It took a lot of it took a lot of work, and it took some work to get it through our coordinating council, for some of the people to decide that this was an okay thing to do. But it was worth it. Um, okay, children can read scripture with adults. We said that already. Children can dramatize scripture, which is a great thing to you know let them work out drama to a scripture that's going to be read, and let them do that. Children can write sentence prayers for worship. Remember writing sentence prayers? We use them in worship. Children can uh, dramatize a hymn story. A story from a hymn and somebody can tell it or read it and that kind of thing. Children can make banners. All banners don't have to be flashy and you know, whatever. They can, they can John Woods, a student here, has done some beautiful banners with his children. You might have gone to their uh, children's music so, uh, so beautiful stuff. Uh, yeah, I just think this, and it had. We well, should go. I think they're doing that session again. Children's music it's camps. Music camps. Summer music. Camp. Yeah, summer music camps. But there's some great banners that they did with children that were just that they weren't the things that the parent that the adult cuts out and the children have to put everything in place and then it looks like adult. You know, they were beautiful, but they were childlike. Uh, children can read dedication and commitment readings. Dedication, commitment. Children can illustrate the scripture. The pastor can preach, or you can have somebody read the scripture, and a child's thing be on the visual. See, so I think we have a whole level to go in how we really utilize the visual capacities that most of our many of our churches have today. We haven't even used that as a creative place much. Uh, children can sing a cappella during sensitive portions of worship or any other way, actually. Now, uh, let me move quickly in here. Preparing children's worship guides. Uh, lots of churches do a guide for children that's a separate kind of worship folder. Some of your churches do that, yes. Uh, lots of churches are doing that these days. That's a really helpful thing. I, and I say that from the perspective of a parent. Our children have engaged with that. Our youth have take the children's worship guides, <laughs> mostly, yeah. Yeah. and use them too, and so they, they move right on. Now, youth would not use those children's worship guides if they hadn't used them as children. Let's see, when they use them as children, then they just take them right on, and they get used to doing that. 
See, children that are used to things will do all kinds of stuff that they wouldn't do, that would be too sophisticated to do otherwise. Uh, worship workbooks. Some churches have a workbook that, or a notebook that they use over a period of time, and every week it has new pages in it, and the children can get their notebook when they come in on Sunday. We visited a church recently where the children had notebooks. Uh, they didn't offer Isaac a notebook, though, and they should have. They should have had some guest, guest notebooks, yeah. you know, so the, the guest children get a notebook, too. Uh, worship bags or boxes. You know, you have a bags with children's names on them, you have some extra bags, and they're, you know, just those little canvas bags, and the children have some activities in there, maybe a few crayons, a few things. Um, you can do the same thing with a little box, you know, there are lots of ways to do that. So there's, you need to kind of figure out a way to make that happen. But the more we can do that, children appreciate it and their parents. I've learned that our kids will listen, they're listening, and they're doing stuff. They're way more able to doodle and listen than I am. Um, so just because the child is writing doesn't mean that he or she's not listening and paying some attention. Now we've, I, this is personal, we have not allowed our children to read in church in terms of novels and our children are voracious readers, but we've not allowed them to take their, just whatever they're reading at home, take it to church and read it during worship. We've said you can do can do or you can draw, you know, but you have to think about Jesus. <laughs> you got it. This is an implicit place. This is a God place, okay? And so we're not just going to bring our whatever, we're, you know, our Harry Potter to church and sit and read it. And so we just, you know, we draw a line there, and they have to do other things. So it has to be a special place. Uh, children's sermons, um, I'm sorry, we're going to run out of time here. Uh, values of children's sermons. Let me, let me give you some values here. Uh, children know that they are included would be one value. When, when a children's message, I like to use the term message, I'll put sermon on here because that's what a lot of people say, but children know they are included. It, they, they have a sense that I had something special today um, when, when that's a part. Um, there's at least, the second thing, there's at least one specific part that's designed specifically for them. So when there's a children's message, they know there's something that was really theirs, theirs to claim. Um, the third thing, a children's message can be uh, instructional, and it can you be used to teach. It should be. It's a great way to um, teach the children about times of the year, seasons of the year, um, lots of important things like that. So it's a great way to teach the children. Um, it can create interest among children in worship. And the last thing would, would be that it can encourage uh, family participation or a carryover for families to do things uh, at other times. Now, some important issues to think about with children. Who will present a children's message? Um, the children's minister is not always the best person to present the children's message. Um, sometimes the children's minister is a great person to do that, and sometimes the children's minister is not is a great person in some other way, but the upfront public is not the best thing. How often do you do a children's message? Uh, I think, personally, I think if you do it every single Sunday, it can get to be as rude as doing a lot of other things every single Sunday. Mm -hmm. But I've taken some pretty serious heat through the years for not doing it every single Sunday. Do you do an adult? message every single Sunday? Well, yes. 
But um, is it rope? Is it bolt? Yes. One of the things that we tried to do is really, I've tried in our worship planning session to imagine the children's message rather than just turning it over to somebody else and try to think, well, what could we do here? What would be a good take on this? And even the most creative kind of people can kind of get a little, um, it can get a little difficult. Um, Randall? Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Yeah. At one time, uh, we had a children's feature. So we did have some parents who always wanted a children's sermon. And we had some non-parents because that's, that was their favorite part of the ser service because they didn't necessarily understand the sermon. Uh, they were smart. They just didn't want to have to anyway. So we had a children's feature. And so like if the children's choirs were singing, we didn't have a children's yeah. sermon. Then. Yeah. So that's what ours was. Well, ours was we had a children's sermon. We didn't week. do children's sermons on communion Sunday because on communion Sunday we had a special time where the children go to a certain place and they they talk for a moment during when communion is being served and they get a gift or they get some kind of a memorable something of that day something um, so we didn't do a children's message on that Sunday typically if the children we try to have some major way the children were directly involved but try not to necessarily do that every single time um, how many children? There's a place, there's a point in the church where you have so many children in a very large congregation where you just can't have them all come forward and it's just kind of doesn't make sense. You know, and so some of your churches would have that and that's a question to ask. You know, is this manageable and can you get them back and can they find their way back to their parents? You know, that's a big question if you've got a really large room. Uh, periodically evaluate what's being done here and is this working, is it effective, is it all kinds of things. Uh, it should blend into worship so that it's not just like stop everything, on hold, children's message, start up again. But try to make some kind of, tr make your musical transitions work, make a transition into that, make it thematically, make sense within worship so that it, it, it works, uh, it blends. Should be doctrinally sound. We should never tell children anything that has to be corrected later. That doesn't mean we have to tell them everything, but you don't tell them something hoping, thinking, well, I'll, I'll tell them the real deal later. Well, they may not get to the real deal, so just tell them the truth. Uh, it should be based on scripture. If it's not based on scripture, then you probably should think seriously about that. Communicate one major truth. A children's message never needs to have more than one point. I would say never, because more than one point is way too much. One major truth. If all sermons could have one major truth, wouldn't that be amazing? But one major truth for a sermon, for a children's message. Speak on the child's level. You do not ever speak to children hoping the adult will hear over here and get the message. See, you don't do that. You speak to the children. If the adult overhears and gets a message, well, that's beautiful. Anything a child can understand, an adult can, uh, can need also. But not the other way around. See, we don't, we don't use that. Prepare, prepare, prepare. The, the more a children's message can be really difficult to prepare because you've got to cut all that stuff that they're not going to get. You've got to cut it out. Uh, and limit the time length. Uh, two minutes is a great children's message. Not five. Five is way too long. There's never been a children's message that anybody's ever said that was too short. But we, we think way too much stuff, and we overdo it a lot. Uh, the last thing I mentioned about the children's message is the whole use of 
concrete and uh, abstract language. It's the biggest thing that happens with children's messages that we say the um, so-and-so is like something. And anytime we're using the like word, then we're immediately saying it's like this rather than it is this. So using the concrete language is so, so, so important. Children will often not understand when that lack of when the abstract language is used. I've tested our children over and over and over and over and to see if they what they understood about the children's message, and invariably they would get the wrong thing. They would say, "Well, God is a you know you know God is kind of like a balloon. You know, God is free and unattached and." You know, whatever. Well, God is a balloon. That's what would come <laughs> home to our house. Every, you know, everything I thought to be true played true for our own kids. This last thing I'm not going to go over, but there's a whole list here of how parents can help children prepare for Sunday. I'm, I'm convinced that many reasons that parents dislike church with their children and children don't like church with their parents is because the, the clothes haven't been laid out, uh, Sunday was the time that everybody slept longer. They didn't get up and prepare. It was crisis. Everybody ran late. Everybody was anxious. Um, we, we tried really to iron all our clothes on Saturday night, have everything laid out for Sunday morning. Sunday morning has a breakfast that we always have. It's what our family always has every Sunday morning. It's kind of a tradition, something our kids look forward to. Sunday's a happy day. We want it to be a, a joyful day for our kids. We've tried to build that tradition in our family. Our Sunday's a good day. It's a day we all look forward to. Even though I have to go really early, we still all look forward to this, and it's a happy time. Um, so if it's a happy time for one of us, it's a happy time for others. Sing songs with your children the night before. Um, pass that word along to people in the church and all the parents of the children. Give them materials beforehand. You know, for a long time in our church, we had a bunch of parents that were on the final version of the worship bulletin for Sunday. You know, so we would copy a bunch of parents, then they could see what we're singing on Sunday. Mm. And they said, "Where did I get a hymn?" Well, I said, "Take one out of the rack, take it home with you." <laughs> you know, what a great good book to have in that family. So, all these things, read those, and they're also some helpful ideas. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I knew I had too much stuff, but uh, I'm sorry. That's great. Can I have an extra one of those? Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.